I guess if we could just encourage everyone to unplug a little bit more and put that time into the hearth. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal here is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, what do you have there? Well, I just got the mail. Okay. And it is charming. Some days you get bills, some days you get junk mail, and some days you get treasures. Uh Uh-huh. So, it says, Dear IEW folks, we have been using your program through our co-op since September and look forward to doing more. My daughter and I watched some of Mr. Poudoua's videos of poetry recitations. Hmm. I'm assuming that would be on YouTube. Right. And she wanted to send this poem just to show what she has been doing. Thank you for all you do for encouraging kids to do their best. Appreciatively, Sarah Klein. Hmm. So this is a poem. This is her daughter, Heather Klein, who is age 10. Cute. From Connecticut. Oh. I know that because she put CT down at the bottom. (laughs) Okay. And then I looked on the return address, and I confirmed (laughs) Confirmed. my suspicion. The title is, A Really Good Poem. Mm. A really good poem breathes like a mouth and makes you think you are down south. A really good poem tells a tale of faraway seas, a sea serpent tale. How it came, lashed out its tail, and then dove down to the sea with a whale. A really good poem brings you to rest and makes everything seem like a jest. A really good poem seems alive and makes you want to dance and jive. (laughs) Isn't that charming? That is charming. Oh, just you just love it when kids want to share their creativity and you see the natural affection for rhyme Mm -hmm. and scheme and simile and imagery. Mm -hmm. I hope Heather continues to write really good poems. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And uh, will send me more sometime because this is the type of thing that I keep. The junk (laughs) mail goes away, the bills hopefully get paid, but these things go on the wall. Yes, yes, very sweet. And in light of our theme today, which is on mothers, I was thinking how fortunate Heather is to have a mother that cares enough to go to the effort to actually send that to you. Yes. You know, with our modern uh, intensity Mm -hmm. of email and and electronic communication and texting, and to get a handwritten letter from someone these days really shows a special care, a Mm -hmm. special concern. And of course, her mother is modeling that for her children in doing so. Mm-hmm. So we need to write back and thank her for this and let her know. I just read it on the 
yes. podcast. Yes. <laughs> so with our theme being mothers, and of course, I am a mother. I have a mother. You are not a mother, but you have a mother. And the role that mothers play, not only in the education, but in the development of their children to hopefully become successful adults is our topic for today. It's a big topic. Yes, it's probably a case where we we overlook the significance. We overlook the impact of parents in the education of their children. Mm-hmm. Homeschooling, obviously. Moms are generally, sometimes dads, but mostly moms, making a sacrifice, often a career sacrifice or a financial sacrifice, to choose to stay home. Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful thing, but not everyone does or can. Mm -hmm. However, the mother's impact on the child's academic success, whether they're in private school, public school, hybrid school, wherever, cannot be underestimated. Right. You once shared that while homeschoolers often enjoy a good reputation of being able to score well on tests and be successful adults, you compared that to parents who have their children in school. Right, yes. Actually, that was a study that one of my friends in the homeschool world said, you know, we we have to be careful with statistics. We don't want to misrepresent things, and it's easy to do. So Mm -hmm. if you say, homeschoolers score better than public school students on standardized tests. It's a true, it's That's a true, true. statement. Yep. However, what he showed me was a study that compared homeschoolers with other kids who have two parents at home. So if you compare homeschoolers with middle-class families that have two parents at home, mm-hmm. then that significant difference disappears. So it shows it's really the involvement of parents in the stability of the home that gives the academic advantage. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, we may not like to hear that as homeschoolers. We want to claim that our way is the best way. But the truth is, the best way is for parents to be very involved. And that's common sense. And right. everyone knows it. We actually are about to do another episode on individualized learning And one of the things that schools are recognizing in setting up an individualized learning plan is to involve the parents as much as possible. Isn't that interesting where I I seem to think when I was teaching, because I taught that was something that I did actually before I had children for a couple of years. One of the things that we realized or recognized as teachers is that oftentimes these parents don't have time to be involved in their children's education. So we assume the responsibility of the education as if the parents were not involved at all. And parents at the same time felt inadequate and felt like because we got the education, because we were the experts, they didn't need to be involved. And yet today, their teachers today are clamoring for their parents to be more involved. I, I think there was clearly a pendulum swing yes. there. And it went way too far out to the leave it to the experts. Mm-hmm. Parents don't know anything. We'll do everything. And that didn't work and doesn't work and will never work. Uh, families are just not designed that way. Right. Kids are not designed that way. And teachers are not equipped to do that job. Exactly. Uh, so now the pendulum swinging back, I think, where the teachers are facing the 
the actual truth that when parents are involved in their kids' education, everything goes better. Mm -hmm. And that starts with one thing I'd like to mention, and that is reading out loud. I mean, this is one of our favorite subjects. Recently, I was reading something that kind of caught the headlines, and it was of particular interest to me because I've been preaching this for almost 20 years now, Mm -hmm. and that is the importance of reading out loud to children. This professor at the University of Warwick in Australia, Adam Swift, said that his research indicates that reading bedtime stories to children gives them a greater advantage in life than sending them to a private school. Wow. Yep. Why? Well, think of all the things that happen during Mm -hmm. a bedtime story. Right. You start out young, and you're building vocabulary. Mm -hmm. You you find words in stories that you're just not going to come across in daily life. Mm -hmm. How will you ever grow up and know what a sleigh is <laughs> if you don't hear stories mm-hmm. where there's a sleigh mm-hmm. or in Narnia, I think it's a sledge. So you're going to see stories and, and move from picture books to chapter books to great literature. Mm-hmm. You start with children with their lap books when they're very small. And if you continue to read out loud to them, you know, for 10 years or more, mm-hmm. you're doing the best thing you can possibly do to prepare them to be good writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, people don't understand this. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why, you know, I love our tagline, listen. It starts with listening. That's right. Speak, read, write, mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. It, but it starts with that listening. And so children acquire their vocabulary, they acquire their syntax, they build their database of mm-hmm. language patterns. And then, of course, what else happens? It engenders conversation. And the child wants to point to something and tell you about it. So the book isn't just about listening, but it's about interacting. Exactly. Yep. I had this talk I just gave a couple times. I did it once kind of as a joke, and I didn't expect that anyone else would really ask for it. But it's the one that it's called uh, Pen and Paper, what the research says. Yes. And one of the points of research that I cite on observing parents interacting with children using e-books or interactive books as opposed to regular paper books, the conversation shifts. Mm. So with regular books, they're talking about the characters, what might happen, Mm -hmm. connections, allusions. With the e-books, they tend to be talking about how to operate the device Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. where to swipe or push. Mm -hmm. And so there's something so organic and natural and bonding when a mother has a child next to her, you know, on her lap or in the couch or sitting on her bed and showing the pictures and reading and discussing. I, you know, that that is, in a way, that's just like a foundational mm-hmm. element of family culture. Right. So I'm not surprised that yet that gives children a bigger advantage in life mm-hmm. than sending them off to some fancy, expensive private school. So right. we can think... Adam Swift of the University of Warwick for (laughs) pointing that out Mm -hmm. among some of his other odder observations. Mm -hmm. So besides reading, what are some of the other things that you've experienced in your own childhood that your mother helped you with with your education? Well, my mother, as you know, was a a music teacher. She Mm -hmm. was a piano and voice teacher. Mm -hmm. I played the violin 
And so her encouragement musically mm-hmm. was, of course, uh, a very, very strong influence. And she had the ability to bring music into the world continuously. Mm-hmm. I remember times when we would be uh, over at Catalina Island having sailed over on the boat, and then she had this accordion, hmm. this huge, probably isn't that huge now, but when I was young, it was huge. Mm-hmm. And uh, we would sit around the, the campfire on the beach, mm-hmm. and she would sing mm-hmm. all the great songs, you know, Clementine, oh my darling. And mm-hmm. I, I just had this richness of, of musical, linguistic beauty. I guess that's what I would say a mom can do better than anyone else, and that is bring elements of beauty into their children's world. Mm -hmm. I often teasingly point out to my wife, who loves to have artwork on Mm -hmm. the walls at Mm -hmm. home, that if I had to live alone, there'd probably be no pictures on the walls because I just don't really care enough to put a picture on the wall. And yet there are certain pictures I remember growing up with because they were on the wall, they became points of contemplation, Mm -hmm. and they're deeply embedded in my memory. We had one particular picture of, I don't know, a cypress tree. I Mm. think it was a cypress tree, and kind of in a deserty scene. And when you're a kid, you're bored. You'll look at anything, (laughs) trying to wait for your mom to get off the phone so you can (laughs) do whatever you want to do. And I would just stare at that picture and have all sorts of imaginings of being there or climbing that tree. So I think that there's another example of how a mom's touch will create beauty Mm -hmm. in a home that probably without a mom is a lot less likely to happen. Mm. When I think about my boys, and you were talking about the idyllic scene where the children are all cuddled with you and while you're reading a story. Yeah, that didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) You had three boys. Three boys, and they were all very, very busy. Yes. But I think just right there, I was able to kind of see into their souls, maybe before even their dad was able to, and kind of help direct them toward what they wanted to be when they grew up, even before they knew what they wanted to be when Mm -hmm. they grew up. My middle son is a musician. And that was something that I'd like to think that I was able to nurture in him and see the value. And that was something that he wanted to pursue. My youngest son, who actually works here for IEW, when he was growing up, he thought he might become a philosopher. And I thought, no, you're going to probably wind up doing some IT stuff. So gave him an opportunity to have a computer, to play with being the professor that he was. And yes, today he actually is editing this podcast and probably (laughs) is surprised that I'm even talking about him again. But something about just mom being able to see into a child and know them even better than perhaps they know themselves. Yeah. Suzuki wrote a lot about mothers, you know, in uh, Nurtured by Love, his first book, and then Ability Development from Age Zero. And, you know, he pointed out that the best teacher in the world for a child Mm -hmm. is the mother because she has two things in abundance that other people just don't have and that's love and time. Hmm. And I was thinking as you were talking about what springs from that love. Well, one would be intuition. Mm-hmm. You, you, Because of the love, hearts connect, 
and you see those things that other people might not see, the potential for a child too, especially if you have a child who's got things they're struggling with. Mm -hmm. A mother can see past that struggle better than anyone else Mm -hmm. can. Mm -hmm. And then the intuition and then the patience. I'm very certain that my wife as a mother has a lot more patience than I have as a father. Hmm. I'm like, come on, just do it. Now, you know, quit fooling around. Just put your nose to the grindstone and get that done. Mm -hmm. We're busy. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the attitude that creeps into my interaction. Mm -hmm. Whereas, boy, she will will listen and talk and listen until the wee hours of the morning, if necessary. Yes. I'm in awe, really, of her (laughs) ability to just listen. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and and I thought, I actually thought that once your children were pretty much all grown up, they wouldn't require quite as much time. Mm-hmm. They just require a different type of investment in time. Mm-hmm. And as I watch her now being a grandmother, and it's even more beautiful because the sacrifice of time mm-hmm. is an investment in the future of, of the whole family, of, of the whole community, of the whole culture. Mm-hmm. In the peak of busyness, especially the dads, mm-hmm. if we could just be a little more like the moms. <laughs> well, and, you know, as you were sharing the story about your wife and how much she listens, I think, and also Heather's mother, who sent in the poem. Oh, yes, yes. yes. I think the other thing that a mother has more than anyone else, even even dad, is an altruistic love. I'm not putting myself forward as my son, the musician, or my son, the IT guy, or my son, you know, the banker, or the wonderful father. I, I'm not putting myself as the mother of that. It's, it's something that I can, I'm happy to take a back seat to. Mm-hmm. And I just can love them and just be proud of them. I'm also thinking of, because I have boys, the, the poem that I heard even when they were very little. A daughter is a daughter all her life. A son is a son until he takes a wife. Mm. And I'm feeling a little bit of that now because all my boys are all grown up, but they have all chosen wives well. And so I do often get to hear from my boys because their wives are <laughs> encouraging them to call their mother. So that's that's nice too. You just mentioned poem. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I've read this on a podcast or not. Almost can't read this poem anymore. Hmm. It's one of those awful things of getting old. You cry too easily. Okay. (laughs) But I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, Strickland Gilliland. Strickland Gilliland is most well known for having written the shortest poem ever published in an anthology. Okay. It was entitled Lines on the Antiquity of Microbes. Adam Haddam. That's the shortest poem ever published in an (laughs) anthology. Wait, so the title is actually longer than the poem. (laughs) Yes, yes. And then I understand it was shortened later by him to Fleas. Fleas, okay. But he wrote this absolute gem Mm. of a poem, and it binds these two themes together here. It's called The Reading Mother. Mm. I had a mother who read to me sagas of pirates who scoured the sea, cutlasses clenched in their yellow teeth, blackbirds stowed in the hold beneath, 
I had a mother who read me lays of ancient and gallant and golden days, stories of Marmion and Ivanhoe, which every boy has a right to know. I had a mother who read me tales of Gellert the Hound of the Hills of Wales, true to his trust till his tragic death, faithfulness blent with his final breath. I had a mother who read me the things that wholesome life to the boy heart brings, stories that stir with an upward touch. Oh, that each mother of boys were such. You may have tangible wealth untold, caskets of jewels and coffers of gold. Richer than I, you can never be. I had a mother who read to me. Mm. Isn't that magnificent? Magnificent. I was very fortunate in that, having both parents. Mom read the the stories and the books. My dad read poetry. Mm -hmm. I guess if we could just encourage everyone to unplug a little bit more and put that time into the hearth. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's what mothers do. They they create the the hearth either physically or metaphorically. They build the fire, they they brew the tea, they bring the soup, they make the arrangement of of the home so mm-hmm. that it's welcoming and comfortable. And then they smile, and they facilitate with love that beauty. And I think we all, our souls, just, we crave that. We crave that, yep, yep. And I think about all the moms who are so busy, maybe they just heard this podcast and have to run off and do something else. It's a season, and the seasons go by so fast. And to to take advantage of the time that you have to be with your littles, bring them close, or <laughs> they won't stay close, keep them near you as near as they will while they're playing on the floor, but reading out loud to them and just showing love to them. What a powerful message you bring, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on this educational journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.